Jess Phillips, it is really good to have you on 20 Questions with. I've interviewed you a couple of times before, only sadly over Zoom during the pandemic. Yeah. One day we will be on stage together, I hope. There's lots to talk about. And and you cover such important ground as an MP and as the Shadow Minister, of course, for domestic violence and safeguarding. So there's serious stuff. But I also want to have a bit of fun and like, you know, life is good as well. So let's start with this question. What is it like being Jess Phillips? Uh, Mostly pretty good, really. I wouldn't want to be anybody else. Uh, So it's, it's like a constant sense that something bad might happen but usually doesn't do you ever get anxious or suffer in any way from mental health stuff goodness I've gone sort of deep already I can't believe it it's just the way that you see (laughs) I was was sort of prompted by your first answer yeah I I do get anxious terribly anxious um I take medication for anxiety um because I definitely suffer from like the actual condition of anxiety um like I can convince myself very, very, like if my husband doesn't answer the phone when I'm driving home from somewhere, driving home from work and I'll, I'll call him. And uh, if on, he doesn't, on your car phone, of course. On my car phone, yes. I, I always wear a seatbelt. Um, <laughs> I, um, the car phone makes it sound like it's like the 1980s. Remember when we had phones in the cars? Um, a girl down our road, Rachel had one. She was the bee's knees. Um, but uh, I call him and if he doesn't answer, I start to like emotionally prepare myself for coming home to find him dead. Quite <laughs> ridiculous, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I suffer, I suffer from anxiety, um, of which I've had various, uh, treatments for over the years, but quite rightly, a psychiatrist once told me, that it's which is funny enough my granddad used to say this just because you're paranoid doesn't mean the bastards aren't trying to get you um they said you are both suffering from anxiety and have good cause for anxiety (laughs) so it's like it's just sort of you can't really be treated whilst people are threatening to harm you whilst your life is pretty uh full of anxiety and things that could actually go wrong so yeah i do i I i'm I'm medicated for it so i tend to um, i'm 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 quite an even keel most of the time i felt a bit like that actually during the pandemic I i was acutely anxious and ended up going on medication which i'm now off but there were there was definitely quite a bit to be anxious about in the pandemic yeah, there as was, well. exactly but I remember talking to you during the pandemic and you were telling me that I, this was before we were all you know sticking the tests up our nose every 15 seconds and you'd had like 20 tests and I'd never had one I was like that how have you had so many I remember I think I'd had over I think I had over 30 PCR tests or something my goodness it was a struggle anyway next question when you stand up in the House of Commons and make one of your rumbustious speeches do you get any sort of stage fright for that or is that just a very different department of you? No I don't I, I tend not to get nervous actually about anything to do with my job anymore uh, just practiced uh, I'm often nervous afterwards though I suffer from if I go on the telly or I speak in Parliament, I'm often anxious afterwards about what I might have said, as if I have no personal control over that, which of course I do. Um, but yeah, I'm often anxious afterwards. Um, but never, I, I, I never. Somebody asked me this as I was walking in to make a speech um, in Parliament this week. There was a, a young woman doing work experience in my office, and she said, "Do you feel really nervous?" And I just looked at her, totally baffled. No, I don't. I don't feel 
nervous about or anxious about those things anymore. Was it like putting so much of you out there in the public domain? I mean, I'm not saying that you necessarily reveal too much that is personal about yourself, although yeah. you've been candid about your anxiety, but you're putting your views out there the whole time, aren't you? What's that like? I mean, I'm I'm a massive oversharer. So, um, like, you know, I'll write about having smear tests and talk about uh, things. I don't... Um, it's still quite alarming, though, when people know stuff about you who don't know you. That I still find alarming. Although my son was telling me that my net worth was £5 million because he read it on the internet yesterday. Uh, and I was like that, well, I'd like to know where that is, this net worth that I have. Um, and he's like, well, it's true, Mom. It says it on the internet. And and then I read this article that he sent to me and it was loads of like, it was like, it, it was wrong, but it was trying to sort of guess my wedding anniversary and things, which is really weird, which, you know, I got married on the 20th of October. Um, but it, like, I, I don't know, like, I'm sometimes fascinated by people's interest in me. I don't mind it. I don't mind people now. I'm a totally open book. I really don't mind. My family don't feel the same way about that. So I put on the internet um, recently that my cat had died. Uh, it had been hit by a car. And my son was really annoyed at me because he's like, oh, you know, people were coming up to me at school and asking me about the cat. I didn't really want to talk about it. Um, so I, I forget sometimes that there are conscripts to my personal life. Um, and when I wrote about um, having had, I remember writing about having had an abortion and for the, I think that's probably one of the only times I actually spoke to my husband about it before. Cause I was like, you know, do your parents know this sort of thing? Like, because this, uh, you know, this is your story too, not just mine, but um, no, I'm a fairly open book. I don't mind telling people about my personal life. I like, I like, I like it. What do you enjoy doing? I enjoy doing nothing. Uh, and that's not to say that I don't enjoy anything. I really like doing nothing. And I learned that in the pandemic and it was not a skill I had before. Um, and I have learned to do nothing really quite well <laughs> recently. So I spend quite a lot of time just playing like word. That's not true that I can do absolutely nothing. But I like to just sit around and watch box sets whilst doing like New York Times puzzles and Guardian Killer Sudoku's. Like I've learned to do very little, which I never thought was a skill. Funnily enough, my phone, as we're speaking, is propped up on jigsaw puzzles because I really like doing jigsaw <laughs> puzzles. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I like doing just like what everybody else does. I like going out for dinner. I like going out dancing. I like hanging out with my mates. Uh, I like work. I really like work. Uh, I really like my job. So um, there are bits of it I hate, but obviously that's just, that's normal. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 there's, I don't really have a hobby per se, though, that I like doing. Eating, I like eating. So you say you enjoy work. Yeah, love it. Why are you in politics? And are you in politics now for the same reasons as when you went into politics in the first place? No, I mean, the the fundamental reason is the same. Um, I want to uh, change the law and the systems uh, involved with men's violence against women. That, that, that maintains the sort of core uh, mission and sort of make a more equal society as if I'm Miss World. Um, but... Um, no, I think that there's the sort of the mission statement changes uh, year on year, not just depending on events. But I, I'm now, I think, in politics, much more driven by the idea of getting people to believe in politics. And I never knew that that was going to be the case when I started. 
Um, I remember when I was going to stand for Birmingham City Council, my mum was dying and she said to me, the thing is, Bab, is it won't be hard to shine on Birmingham City Council. Um, and um, I, I sort of feel like I have a, a sometimes a unique role to play in politics of trying to make it accessible to people um, and seem like that they can change things. And so that now is sort of my major driver. Would you say you're ambitious in the sense of not simply ambitious your ideals and to see change in the areas that you want to see change happen but actually in the more I don't know whether mundane is the right word perhaps there's nothing much wrong with being ambitious but are you ambitious in the sort of conventional sense that you want to do well you want to have a a good career yeah 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 I'm totally ambitious Um, and I have all sorts of ambitions that won't necessarily be met by my current career that I still think one day I'll get round to but yeah I'm really ambitious I want to do the best and be the best at the thing that I'm doing Um, I'm I'm really really ambitious although I remember my mum telling me that um, the the happiest day of her life was the day that the ambition left her body and I'm quite ambitious for that moment too Um, so yeah and, and it's funny my husband isn't ambitious at at all um in any i mean he's ambitious to have a nice life but he thinks that you go to work to get paid like and he's not interested in having a career he thinks it's bourgeois but uh so no i'm really really ambitious i want to be the best at the thing that i am uh, and i want to rise to the top and i want people to say that i'm good at it i want people to marvel in my skills like i like that are you hard working not as hardworking as I used to be. That I mean, I, I, as I get older, I get less hardworking. But I'm I'm probably more hardworking than the average person, though. Uh, well, I'm certainly. I've, I've whether I'm more hardworking. I'm, I can be terribly lazy, but I have the I have an amazing capacity to work like twenty hours a day, sleep four hours, get up and work twenty hours a day. Like I I am in. You know, I've got an amazing capacity for work, but I'm also can be incredibly lazy. Like I put empty things back in the fridge rather than putting them in the bin because it's easier. How do you dovetail being personally ambitious with your principles, with your ideals? Because isn't there an extent to which, Jess, politics is is about compromise and you have to compromise on some of the things that you believe in, in order to sort of climb up the ladder and then have more of an opportunity to make it, make an impact. Yeah, and I think that the way that I've managed that sort of uh, shimmy is to make a virtue out of compromise uh, and make it seem like a skill <laughs> that I can be proud of. Like, I'm proud of myself when I compromise because it's certainly when I was first elected, not something I was particularly capable of. I was uh, definitely sort of, like, idealist and uh, a bit of an ideologue about things. And actually, I think that whilst it's important to maintain some of that, to have a red line, I think that you can make a virtue out of your ability to compromise. And certainly as a, as a mother of teenagers, like, I, I, God, I can see the virtue in the ability to think rationally and nuanced and have compromise uh, on certain things. And some of their political views, my God, Honestly, young people. (laughs) I read something fascinating that you wrote in The Guardian recently about the guilt that you felt at times if you're not with your children at a particular moment or if you're not there for an an event. And you you felt that this was something that women particularly, women more than men, feel. And and, and that kind of 
drain some of your fuel. Do you want to just elaborate yeah. on that a little bit or, or, or rephrase that for this podcast? Well, what I'd say is that I think that women, as soon as you give birth, you feel guilty about every decision that you make, both good and bad. Um, and you worry about the con- the constantly the consequences of it. And when you work, if you don't go to work, you think you're not giving them a good enough example of people going to work. If you do go to work, you think you're not a good enough mother. You, when you're at work, you think you're not good enough um, at work because your mind is somewhere else. And when you're at home, the same thing happens. And I just don't think it's a disease that that the average man suffers from. And when I asked my husband about it, I said, oh, do you know, do you get, do you ever sit at like, you know, work feeling like worried about like not being home in time for the kids and stuff? And he's just like never once crossed his mind. He was like, no, I'm I'm at work, Jess. Uh you you lunatic. Why are you thinking about that? Um and that I think is that that's just society has given us that that's groomed us to that position uh, and the constant column inches about women in the workplace and whether women should work or what's best for your kids um and, and it's just it's just really really it makes you tired it makes and I'm I will worry about things because I'm naturally more anxious that other people just won't worry about and it just that that's just another drain on your resources isn't it when you should be my husband um, uh, once said that if I had given all the time that I worried about personal safety, if women more generally, the things that they have to do to keep themselves safe, like think about what they're going to wear, text each other on their way home, think about the route that they're going to take. He said that if I had that time back, I could make a really good stop frame animation film, a feature length stop frame animation film with the level of detail that I've put into that, that he's never once expended a single moment on. You talk about your husband quite a bit, and I wonder whether the fact that he does a job that's very different from yours is actually yeah. quite helpful to you. Does it, in, in a oh, sense, yeah. not that his job is in any way less valuable than yours, but does it, in a sense, keep you grounded that he he does something away from the public eye? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He keeps me totally grounded at all times. Um, and he is truly like my life partner um in everything i wouldn't i wouldn't be the person i am without him and if he were here he'd just be like don't be a div you would i just you just have a different husband but um no it does definitely help me he's not in i mean he's really deeply political in and of his himself but he, he he wouldn't join a political party and he thinks people who do are weirdos um he thinks we're like a cult and he i mean he's a member of a union because he's always worked in unionized workforces but um so he does get to vote sometimes but yeah he's not uh he does definitely keep me grounded him and other people my lots of my friends aren't that interested in politics like only vote because it's me like do you think men and women are different in important ways Yes, I do think men and women are different uh, in important ways. I'd much rather be a woman, regardless of all the whinging I do about it. Um, I think that uh, women have been allowed uh, huge amounts of benefits of womanhood. Uh, the sort of women are friends with each other in a way that men aren't friends with each other, and I think that no matter the sort of threat of violence or being paid less. And being over sexualized and all those things, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't give anything up if it meant that, you know, we our lives were more like men's actually, because I would never give up the closeness and sorority that I feel from other women. 
And I, I feel for men sometimes that I don't think that they get that the same. Uh, and my husband's got good mates, but it's it's just not the same. It's just not the same. They're more likely to help him with a van, uh, you know, picking stuff up uh, and stuff. But, yeah, it's just not like I have a huge amount of people to rely on and, and many great networks. So, yeah, men and women are different. What was your childhood like? It's, 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 a, it's a big question for, uh, for for a podcast, isn't it? For limited time and limited questions. But how do you look back on it with an overview? Happy and proud is my, of my childhood. It wasn't perfect, but it was noisy and busy and active uh, and political. I come from a big family and we always had random people staying with us and we were raised to believe that you know you help people if you could um and so we always had you know there's always some heartbroken divorcee lodging with us or kids who couldn't live with their parents sort of um for all sorts of terrible reasons so sort of before the days of like lots and lots of safeguarding sort of informal foster caring um and so it was noisy and crowded and varied and yeah happy really really happy my childhood actually I remember it really fondly as an MP do you enjoy the big political interviews the speeches the house of commons the profile the causes that you are able to lend your voice to in 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 with a megaphone Mm -hmm. more than you do your constituency work is it the other way around or do they complement each other they, they, they complement each other and my platform means that I'm able to help my constituents uh, better, no doubt. But look, I'll be lying if I say I don't like attention. I do. I like attention. I like getting attention. I like it when people write nice things about me. I sometimes like it when they write mean things about me because I get to like rail against it. Uh, like sort of being for, for, for a day rather than a lifetime being Prince Harry. Um, and um, But that that nothing makes me happier and feel safe actually like being in my constituency with my constituents there's there's no comparison if I could only do one part of my job the bit I do is the bit in my constituency office without a shadow of a doubt it's like I can feel my shoulders fall as I pass through the Chilterns on the way into uh, home from London I feel like oh thank god and during Covid I found it so horrendous because you didn't plug back into people who just either said both brilliant funny ridiculous asking you ridiculous questions like all of it like from the sublime to the ridiculous things people who break your heart to people who make you want to punch them like you get it all in your constituency office and I wouldn't you know I'm just happiest there I love it there do you make friends in politics have you made friends in politics and how well do you get on with people across the aisle how well do you get on with conservative MPs uh, I get on with lots of them very, very well. Um, lots of Conservative MPs. I have made, I've made some friends for life in politics. A couple from the other side, I would say, who I will almost certainly keep in touch with for the rest of my life. 
So Anne Milton is a good example. She's no longer in Parliament, but she was the Deputy Chief Whip when I was first elected. And she she was a genuine ally and a friend. Uh, and I will keep in touch with her for the rest of my life. Caroline Noakes, Tracy Crouch, these are women who I will absolutely certainly be friends with for the rest of my life. But yeah, there there is... Um, on the Labour side, I have a core group of, uh, you know, there's sort of like 15 people and we are as tight as, you know, anyone could be. Uh, and, you, you know, I'm spending, I, I eat dinner with them more than I eat dinner with my family. So because I'm stuck with them like three or four nights a week and my children aren't as interested in me as West Streeting is. Uh, but um, <laughs> West Streeting pays considerably more attention to my life and times uh, than either of my children and, and potentially my husband. Um, but yeah, so you, you, you make friends and you are there for people. And so it's painful, actually, when, when they're because you you live through their difficult political times as well. Um, that's so you sort of shared. What's Keir Starmer like? <laughs> Keir Starmer is, funnily enough, nothing like I think how he uh, necessarily comes across on the television. He's much more um, irreverent, I would say, in real life. I mean, maybe just with me. Uh, like you know, I'm always more brummy when I'm with a brummy person, and maybe when he's with me because I'm irreverent, he's more irreverent. Um, but um, he's he's. He's a deeply, I mean, what is accurate is he's a deeply serious and studious man. <laughs> no two ways about that. Like, you know, he's definitely the kid who did his homework, whereas I was just have befriended that kid to get them to show me their homework. Um, but he is he's funny, he's much funnier and much he's he's gentle and caring. And obviously, because of the thing that I deal with mostly uh, around domestic and sexual violence when I have really tricky cases because he was the nation's most eminent um, lawyer in the the area of prosecution I, I, I frequently pick up the phone to him and be like I've got this woman like I've I've hit the end. Can can you offer me some advice to help her? Uh, and he's never ever once turned me down. He's I've I've taken victims into his office so that he can sit and properly explain things to them. Like you know, he's a good man. How difficult will it be for Labour to win the next general election, given where Labour is in Scotland or has been okay. in Scotland, yeah. given possibility of boundary changes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not much of a possibility. It's happening. <laughs> Say that again. It's definitely happening. The boundary. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so, how hard is it actually? Because Labour have done well in the polls. Yeah, it's still hard. It's still hard. Um, it's still hard, but it seems more possible than it's ever felt in the whole time I've been elected, uh, or even like you know, in frontline politics at all, either locally or nationally. I think that the Labour Party will be in government in. After the next election, that is my view. I think that that is absolutely the case. Do you um, mean as the biggest party or win outright? I, I mean, I like to think we'll win outright, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, uh, I, I was with John Curtis earlier this week, the, the pollster extraordinaire, um, and he, he gave a sort of version of, and he would know much more about it than me, he gave a, a sort of three scenarios situation. But... Um, it, and in every one, the Labour Party ends up in government. Um, but some is an outright majority. Some, you, you know, a week is a long time in politics. It can turn on a sixpence. Um, 
So who bloody knows? The Tories have got an amazing power to win. But look, I think that the country is, has absolutely had enough. I mean, Rod Stewart's had enough. When Rod Stewart's had enough, then it's done for. Could you just talk to us briefly about the issue that is so close to your heart and that you are the shadow minister for? So we're talking about domestic violence and safeguarding. We're talking about violence and abuse of women and girls. What's your message to the country on that? Um, my, my message to the country is that never, ever in my lifetime has it been a subject that mattered as much as it does today to the people in our country. So bravo for a start off to the people in our country. It just they need now to be able to rely on institutions and governments to care about it as much as they do. And that is simply not the case. Um, I want to see not just I'm sick of tidying up a mess. I've spent my political career and my uh, career before I was elected I have spent it trying to make marginal changes to tidy up a problem and I am sick of it. I'm sick of just making more refuge beds. I'm sick of just trying to update police regulations so rapists don't end up police officers. I can't just put plasters on it anymore. We need whole scale reformation of our court system, both family courts and criminal courts. We need whole scale... um, just complete and utter reformation in our policing of the issue of how we deal with it in housing, of welfare. And I, my message is that I will not stop until the prime minister of our country, when they say the thing that they always say that, the, you know, the first duty of any government is the safety and security of its people, that it actually considers the safety and security of half the population. And it isn't just thinking about people in Chinooks. Because <laughs> that's, that's what they mean when they say that. They're talking about borders and trying to act macho, but to 99% of us, that makes absolutely no difference. And to 50% of us, actually, our safety and security means something completely different. Where do you see yourself in 10 years' time, Jess? Uh, in 10 years' time, I uh, i mean, what I really hope is that I have served in, uh, you know, in, in government um, in 10 years' time. Uh, I would hate to leave my political career having not, like, run a department or a ministry and been able to actually inform direct change. In 10 years' time much more so than in two years time or even three years time if the labor if the if we do elect a labor government i won't be able to change the things i want to change overnight it's going to take 10 years so maybe in 10 years time i, I see myself sort of seeing some of the shoots of the work that i would have done for the previous decade um i what i definitely won't do um I, this maybe i shouldn't say this but because uh, i almost certainly be proven wrong what I definitely won't do is I, I I will not stay in Parliament for 30, 40 years. I am not there to fill a space. I I mean, I don't live there either. I'd like to live at home again. Um, I, I I see myself... My, I mean, my grand plan for the future is to move to a, a sunny country and live there in the winter. And, like, I don't know, like write and lecture on uh, the things that I have learned, but live a simpler life, but not in 10 years time, give it 15 years. 
How old will I be in 15 years? I'll be 55, yeah. I don't think I'll be in Parliament then. Have you got, and this is a final question, any secret or special skills that we should know about? Um, I'm hypermobile, so I have hypermobility in my arms. So I can do weird things with my arms, like I can twist my arms in a weird way. Uh, That is not necessarily a special skill that has ever come in any use other than to freak my staff out every time I I do it, which they they seem to want me to do every time somebody new comes into the office. So, yeah, that that, I can play the violin, although I haven't actually played it since I was 12, so I'd have to relearn, but I'm pretty good at playing the violin. Um, and the world's tiniest violin, insert own joke here. Uh, what other special skills do I have? I think I share all the others. Really I mean, how? I, I mean, there are other people who are good at the violin. I should point out. Oh yeah. Oh, what the other people don't have? Is, well, no, no. I mean, they they can be shared. What about dancing and singing? I'm pretty good at both of those. Pretty good at both dancing and singing. Although not as good at singing as I used to be. Um, I've got, um, I, I would say, when certainly when I was younger, I had perfect pitch. So you'd be good on a night out? Good fun? Oh, I'm cracking on a night out. Oh, it. I mean, compared to people in Parliament as well, you know, I'm definitely, I think I, I'm in the top 2% of people to go on a night out with. This is a question within a question, sort of cheating. Would the, the, the Labour shadow front bench, would it beat the Tory front bench would it beat the cabinet in a karaoke sing-off? Oh, in a karaoke. Karaoke is like religion to the Labour Party. So, yes, it would in a karaoke sing-off. Um, a, because we've got loads more Welsh people. And I don't know what it is, but they can all just sing. There's some some beautiful Welsh voices in there. So we definitely beat them in a, in a karaoke, without doubt. Whether we're better, more fun on a night out, it depends on your idea of fun. Somebody once said to me, it was a Tory, said, at the Labour Party conference, uh, the Labour Party all just have big rows. So it's two different versions of like a sort of family wedding. Uh, or funeral the Labour Party just to all get you know get drunk and have punch-ups and get and argue with each other and at a Tory party conference they all just shag each other what, what a mic drop moment to end our <laughs> end our interview on just because it, it was really lovely to talk to you just because we talked about some serious stuff I think it's good to give out the Samaritans number 116123 that's 116123 really lovely to chat and we did it in almost record time perhaps we zipped through <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Lovely to see you, Jess. Thank you. You too. No worries. My pleasure.